did a wonderful job in helping us uh, focus on the cross and the death of Jesus, all the songs that have been shared, uh, Matt's comments at the opening and the opening prayer. Today we're going to focus on three aspects around the death of Jesus, but as we do that, we have to understand why he died. And so the first aspect we're going to look at is a very dark aspect. Matt talked about dark. Yes, there is a dark aspect. The dark aspect is the depravity of man's condition. And we're going to move from the depravity of man's condition to the necessity of Christ's death. And then from the necessity of Christ's death, we're going to move to the simplicity of man's faith. And so sandwiched between depravity of man and the faith of man is the death of Jesus. That's what bridges the gap between our depravity and our faith is the death of Jesus. The gospel paints mankind in a very poor light. It poor meaning depraved. Depraved means that we have moral corruption, wickedness, that we have been perverted by sin. The Bible tells us we are born in sin, so therefore we have an innate moral corruption, wickedness, perversion in our hearts. Depraved means we are lawbreakers, God-haters, and self-pleasers. That's what it means. Under God's law, we have lied, stolen, blasphemed the name of God. We have murdered people, either physically or in our minds. We have committed adultery, either physically or in our minds. And more. We lust, we covet, we envy. That is reality of what the gospel says about us, apart from Christ. Under sin, we are captivated and controlled by its power, and we have no personal resources to free ourselves from its grip and its deadly destruction. Sin has seized our minds, our emotions, and our wills. It dictates to us how we are to think, to feel, and to act. That's the depravity of man. The depravity of man's condition is alluded to even in a writing by John Meacham. John Meacham is a presidential biographer, and he wrote a book called The Soul of America a few months ago. And in that book, he quotes from the first charter of Virginia in a document dated in 1606 that authorized the founding of Jamestown with 3,805 words. 98 of them are about carrying religion, and here's how he quotes it from the document, to such people as yet live in darkness and miserable ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God. He says that people came to America, in other words, for God. That was one reason. The other reason many people came to America was for gold. 
He said they came for God and for gold, and he said not necessarily in that order. <laughs> he said the other 3,707 words in the charter concern taking lands, woods, soils, grounds, havens, ports, rivers, mines, minerals, marshes, waters, fishings, commodities, as well as orders to dig, mine, and search for all manner of mines of gold, silver, and copper. And the depravity of man will either cause us to search for God or to search for gold. So many people are searching for gold because of their depravity of man's condition. I wanted to see us bear this out in Scripture, so I've put uh, some Scriptures on PowerPoint because I'm going to look at a lot of different Scriptures. But I want you to see the reality in Scripture of the depravity of man's condition. The first one in Romans chapter 1. Furthermore, he says, he went through a whole list of things about the perversion of man and God giving man over to a reprobate mind. He says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. That comes from the depravity of man. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then here, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, why? Because they're captivated and controlled by sin, that I talked about. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So there he talks about the depravity of man. Here in Ephesians, he does the same thing. Here he even says that we are dead in sin because we are separated from God because of our sin. As for you, he says, you were dead, spiritually dead, in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. Something I want you to pick up on as we look at some of these scriptures is you will notice that there it refers back to the wrath of God because the depravity of man incites the wrath of God because he hates sin so much. As a matter of fact, if we go back, and I'll just mention this, in Romans chapter 1, which we read earlier toward the end of the chapter, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says the wrath of God is re being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the depravity of man incites the wrath of God. That's what God thinks about sin 
And that's what you and I should think about sin as well. I can't help but think about what happened in the news this past week with the full-term abortions in New York. All abortion is wrong. All abortion is killing. It's taking innocent life. And God hates it. And we should hate it as well. But I will be quick to say, if you are here and you are a lady and you have had an abortion, we sang about mercy this morning. We sang about forgiveness. It doesn't matter what your sin is. God will forgive your sin. He will be merciful to you if you confess that sin to him. He goes on to say in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he lists several things. And this is the reality of spiritual depravity. It manifests itself in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, what? The wrath of God is coming. Notice the wrath. We just read a moment ago back in um, Ephesians. Notice the very end of that. We were by nature objects of wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness. Look at Galatians 5. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. We see a rise of witchcraft in our day today, right? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a result of the depravity of man's condition. Man is not getting better. Man is not good apart from God. There's no one righteous. We will not grasp the significance of the table of communion and the sacrifice of Jesus if we don't grasp the sinfulness of our depravity. We must grasp the sinfulness of our depravity and how much God hates that. So that's the dark picture. That's what, that's what the gospel paints us in. That's the reality of who we are apart from Christ. Every one of us, I don't care who you are, and I don't care what kind of family you grew up in, apart from Christ, we are depraved. We are morally degenerate. But the good news is the second point. This is the necessity. Oh, maybe it didn't. Did I skip over that? Necessity of Jesus' death. The necessity. When did he die? Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, in our depravity, in our sinfulness, in our moral corruption, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the reality. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners in our depravity, in our God-hating condition, Christ died for us when we were enemies. That's why he needed to die. That's why he needed to shed his blood on the cross because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin at all. 
So what does Christ's death do for us? The first thing it does is it justifies us. And these are all together, by the way. Christ's death, we're going to look at five quick things it does for us. It justifies us. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins. That's why he died, not for his sin, for my sin, for your sin, for our depravity. He was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised to life for our justification that we might be made right before God. He goes on to tell us in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be justified? It means that God has declared us righteous. He looks at us and he no longer sees our sin. He sees the blood of Christ applied to our sin and therefore we are clean. That's justification. We have been positionally made righteous in God. The practice takes time. To become more and more righteous is the practice we should do because of our position of being placed in Christ. Prior to justification, we were unjustified. We were lost. We were broken. We were without hope. We were without God. We were justified by faith in the death of Jesus' payment for our sin. Christ's death, this is very important, Christ's death frees us from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is no longer over us. Christ has removed the penalty for sin by his death on the cross as we put our faith and trust in him. Here's what he says in Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from what? God's wrath toward our depravity through him. We have now been justified by his blood. We'll be saved from God's wrath. I don't know about you, but people living in depravity should fear the wrath of God because it is going to be poured out on the ungodly. Because God has made provision in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's the only way we can be justified before a holy God. Here's what he says in Romans 3. For all have sinned, every one of us, and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace, his unmerited favor through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood, his sacrifice. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So it's our faith in Jesus that allows us to be justified. Faith in his death, understanding that I'm depraved, and understanding that only that depravity can be taken away by the power of the cross. That's the reality of Jesus' death. That's the necessity of his death. Christ's death not only justifies us, but his death reconciles us as well. It reconciles us. Look what it says in Colossians 1, 19. For God was pleased 
to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You and I being enemies of God, the only way we can be at peace with God is through the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary that gives us that peace. Once, he says, you were alienated from God. You were separated and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's what he has done for us. Romans 5.10, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him, how through the death of his son... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Reconciled through his death. Not good deeds, not good works, not baptism, not giving money to church, not helping the poor. We are reconciled through the death of his son. And that and that alone. Christ's death also redeems us. It justifies us. It reconciles us. It redeems us. In Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We can never preach very many sermons and exclude the blood of Christ. We would be excluding the gospel. We need to talk about the blood of Christ. He tells us in Romans 3.24 and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's amazing that God could even look at us and see anything redeemable. But he did. He longs for that relationship with us. Fourthly, the death of Jesus and the necessity of it, Christ's death unifies us. It allows us to come together as one body, whether rich, poor, healthy, sick, old, young. It doesn't matter. Ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Christ's death unifies us, Jew, Gentile. We are unified by the death of Christ. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two, Jew and Gentile, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There was hostility. The Jews and Gentiles hated each other. And the only thing that unified them is the blood and the cross of Christ. There are people who are enemies in our world today, and people who give their lives to Christ become friends. That's what God does. Maybe you're an enemy of God. You haven't bowed your knee to the Lord. You can be unified to the Lord through his death. For you. He shed his blood. And then the last one is Christ's death purifies us. Here's what he says in Hebrews 9:14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Some people don't have the ability to serve God because they don't have a clean conscience. 
A clean conscience is essential to be able to serve God and honor him. And that clean conscience only comes through the blood of Christ, his death on the cross for our sin. So the necessity of Christ's death is there because of the depravity of man's condition. And then thirdly, how do we apply this to our life? The simplicity of man's faith. It's not complicated. It's simple. It's not hard. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the simplicity. We put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ who paid the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Faith in his blood, we are justified. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. We don't buy it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. He freely gives it to us. The word, this whole phrase here, freely given to us, means to show favor, to show kindness, that God has freely given us all spiritual things that we have in our life. All our gifts that God gives us are without money and without price. Here's a verse in the Old Testament that reminds us of this. Isaiah 55, 1, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why? Jesus paid the cost. He paid the price that we could come and receive from him. The power of the gospel is this. When we put our trust in the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, a vicious person is transformed into a virtuous person. That's what the gospel does. It makes the alcoholic sober. It makes the drug addict clean. It makes the thief honest. It makes the defiled pure. It makes the immoral, moral. It makes the degenerate, regenerate. It replaces anxiety with peace. It replaces hatred with love. It replaces pride with humility. It replaces bitterness with joy. It replaces discontentment with satisfaction. And God replaces our propensity to sin with a desire to please God. That's the power of the gospel because of what Jesus did for us. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, 
beasinboy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.